today. The CDC director says we still don't know how many deaths are from COVID versus with COVID. Also, New York plans to mandate COVID vaccines for school children. We have all that and more coming up, and it all starts right now. Hey, welcome to the news and why it matters. I am Sarah Gonzalez. Happy Monday. Uh, I have got a fun show for you in store tonight. I have two of my friends, but they have never been on together, I don't think. We have Stuber Gear, host of Stu Does America. Yeah. Uh, and also John Doyle, Blaze TV contributor. And of course, you know John Doyle from Heck Off Commie. This of is Heck Off Commie, John <laughs> Doyle. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, wait, this could be a fun dynamic. The two of you guys together, never met. It's true. I'm, I'm very excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. We also, we've never done one with uh, Elijah and myself. That would yeah, be that fun. is weird, isn't it? <laughs> it is He weird. keeps, every time I'm like, John's on, do you want to come on? And he's like, no, I don't like that kid. Yeah, it was weird. He I'm shows kidding. a lot of animosity. Is there something that happened in your past? It's more of an insecurity thing. <laughs> okay. Every time, every time I'm in the room, you know, his, his takes and my takes are just sort of... Right, right, right. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, all right. So let's get into um, what happened over the weekend as far as the left continuing to kind of walk back. Stu, I know when you were on last week, we talked about this very same issue, which mm -hmm. is uh, the left continuing to sort of um, walk back all of the things that they had been saying were conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. We had people getting deplatformed last year for saying, or two years ago even, for saying things like, hey, um, probably that death that you counted as COVID that was some guy accidentally getting his head chopped off was like not a COVID death. Maybe we should relook at this. Maybe we should look at the hospital incentives. And you were called all sorts of things. You were called a conspiracy theorist. Uh, you know, you were told that you were stupid um, and that you were anti-science, whatever that means. And now all of a sudden we have the left uh, taking that narrative and running with it. I guess they they realize that their time is limited. Their 15 minutes are almost up. So here is CDC Director uh, Rochelle Walensky just yesterday talking to Fox News anchor Brett Bayer. Um, and he was asking her about how, how, what is the number? How many deaths are actually from COVID versus with COVID? And of course, uh, you know, we, like we'll, we'll circle back to that. We'll get it to you eventually. But I really just can't say. Watch. Do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID, but they had other comorbidities? Do you have that breakdown? Um, yes, of course. With Omicron, we're following that very carefully. Our death registry, of course, um, takes a few weeks to and is, uh, takes a few weeks to collect. Um, and of course, Omicron has just been with us for a few weeks, but those data will be forthcoming. Yes, and it's it's only the Omicron variant that this has happened with, right? That that that's changed things somehow in the way that they're counting these these uh, deaths. Still, I will spare you my full data rant uh, of how <laughs> pissed off I am about how two years into this we still don't know this information. Well, it takes two time. weeks, she said. Yeah, I wish it only took two weeks. It seems like it's taken <laughs> taken two years. Yeah. I mean, look, cases. Not an easy thing to get a handle on, right? Like, I, you know, I took a COVID test recently. I was negative. If I was positive, I probably would have stayed home to make sure that I don't give it to you fine people. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I wouldn't have called anybody and told them about it. Right. They wouldn't have known that I had it, right? right. Cases, 
I could see that being difficult. A hospitalization. They are coming into the hospital. All you have to do is hey, say, hey, uh, you know, 12-year-old, you fell off a roof. Are you in here for the broken arm or because your nose is stuffy? Which one is it? They're right there. You can just ask them. <laughs> and then you could ha we could hire a giant amount of people to call up hospitals and get these numbers every single day so we have them in real time. We have spent $6.6 .6 trillion on this issue. And two years in, we still can't decipher uh, whether uh, the people are in there because they are, you know, maybe an elderly person who's having a real tr trouble breathing or if they're a, you know, a 14 year old that fell off the roof, uh, you know, trying to do a YouTube video. There should be that should be really, really easy. Mm. Um, you know, I can understand there are parts of this that have been hard and I get it. I try you try to have some grace for the difficult uh, times, you know, for for people to get through some of the stuff. That being said, this is insanity. And th this has, of course, always been a thing. We've talked about it on here a hundred times. Conservatives have been talking about this stuff for a long time. And it seems like now that the left has, uh, is waking up, I think, to the point that, you know, to the fact that this is going to be here for a long time. Now that it's hitting their buddies, now that it's hitting AOC without her mask, coming back from a nice vacation in Florida, all of a sudden they're seeing the world the same way. It, this sort of stuff, though, is inexcusable. Mm -hmm. the, they have, there's no reason. Every single hospital would give the CDC their numbers. All they have to do is be called and asked. They don't seem to want to get the data, and that's the big problem. Yeah. Uh, another thing she said over the weekend, John, just to throw this in there, is uh, Rochelle Walensky. She had mentioned that over 75% of COVID deaths had at least four pathological conditions or comorbidities. Yeah, which is something uh -huh. that we've been saying for like uh -huh. the last year and a half or so. And there, there's this very real cycle that exists where something doesn't exist and then there's some information that would suggest that it does exist. And then they say, well, that's just a conspiracy theory. <laughs> and then over time, eventually, it becomes, well, that is real, but it's actually good that it's happening. And it's kind of <laughs> like what's going on with this, too. And to his point about how much money has been spent on this, both in terms of like absolute cost, but also opportunity cost from them, like literally shutting down the economy. It's like one of the first rules of politics, if you want to, you know, kind of tackle something with honest analysis, is to just follow the money. And it's like every hospital had an incentive mm -hmm. to literally a cash incentive mm -hmm. to diagnose someone with COVID-19 through a PCR test which, by the way, the inventor of the PCR test even came out and said that it could not be used reliably to diagnose a respiratory infection, to then put someone on a ventilator, which, again, is, I don't, I don't want to go as far as to say it's a death sentence. I would never suggest that. But, you know, the most common uh, cause of death in the ICU is pneumonia induced by ventilators. So they had a cash incentive to put people on ventilators and then also a cash incentive to write down COVID-19 on people's death certificate. So it's like that we could sort of analyzes information reliably is still totally up for debate. And the reason that they're now coming around to what we've been saying, which is more uh, akin to what the data actually suggests, is because they know that they have midterms coming up. Mm -hmm. And Biden has to be able to say that we beat COVID in order to not get absolutely rinsed on those midterm election ballots. Yeah. Uh, another thing that uh, we have been saying this whole time that's really bothering me that kind of goes into this, I just want to mention it really quickly, is uh, there was a recent CDC study that revealed that children ages 12 to 17 hospitalized with COVID-19 uh, oh, just approximately two-thirds of those children were obese, which is like we keep saying, guys, let's, we have a problem in America. It's an obesity problem, uh, not necessarily a COVID problem. We should probably talk about that rather than giving out free Krispy Kremes when you get uh, a vaccine. I think we should still give out free Krispy Kremes. Uh, <laughs> my, myself, I hate to disagree with you on your show. I forgot who I was talking Sarah. to here. <laughs> but they should just give them out for everybody, whether you get a vaccine or not. I want free donuts. Um, all right, so let me, on the topic of uh, COVID, 
and vaccines. The uh, who is this? The new mayor, the New York City mayor, Eric Adams. I'm get, I'm I'm still getting used to not saying Bill de Blasio. Trust me, it is a good thing. I'm not <laughs> I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I'm still getting used to not saying uh, Bill de Blasio. He is now saying that um, they are going to mandate the COVID vaccine for school children. But I won't explain it. I will just let him explain himself. Watch. COVID is a formidable and moving target. And we have to pivot and shift based on that. And our policies have been rooted in, I need my children in school. And if my medical professionals tell me, Eric, we have to do a mandated vaccine, we're going to do that. You know, again, uh, it's just strange because all of the data that I've seen, and I know, well, I would say both of you guys are data guys, statistic guys. Um, Stu, you are not only a data guy, mm. you also are like the most pro-vaccine person <laughs> I've ever met yeah, I mean, in yeah. my life. <laughs> what, what data could you possibly think that they would be looking at that would suggest that school children need this vaccine to be mandated? There is absolutely no data that would indicate that whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, look, I think you should be able to ha- make a choice yourself as to whether you want to take the vaccine or not. That includes adults, by the way, it includes people who are very vulnerable adults. Anybody should be able to make their own choice about what they put in their body, what medicines they take, what treatments they have. I mean, that, that's a to me a basic fundamental right, especially if you happen to live in the United States of America. But there's no data to support this whatsoever. You can go back to the very beginning of this. I remember one of the first interviews I heard about uh, COVID-19 very early on before it had any real effect here was on the Joe Rogan podcast. And he had Michael Osterholm on there. Osterholm goes on to be a, an advisor to the Biden administration on COVID. In that interview, before we had any effects here in the United States, one of the questions um, uh, Rogan asked him was like, we're going to have to close down these, these schools, right? And Osterholm was like, well, probably not. Honestly, probably won't, won't need to do that. There are certain things we'll have to do, but that's really, we, there's, we've seen effects in previous pandemics that that actually makes things worse. This is like February 2020. And here we are in 2022, almost February 2022, two years later, where the same ridiculous arguments are, be, are being trotted out. There has never been a time where, uh, where closing schools was a good idea. Maybe it was understandable in March 2020 for a short time when we got those, you know. Yeah, like in the extended spring break that they made us take. Exactly. Fine. Like I might get yeah. to on spring break when everything kind of shut down. Right. And they, they thought about they didn't bring them back right away. And like, look, I think pretty much every school in America didn't bring anybody back for the till the end of that year. Right. But here in Texas, my kids went back to school right at the beginning of the in August of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, right when they were scheduled to go back. And they have been back at that school ever since with no major interruptions other than the, when the Time that we actually got COVID, so uh, you know there, there's so many. You got wait, your kids got COVID and they're still here. They're still here. Uh, really? We are COVID nineteen survivors. Wow, uh, we did it. We That's got incredible. through it uh, without any symptoms. Whatsoever. How long were they in the hospital? Um, uh, just well, they were in the hospital. Um, uh, they did visit uh, a hospital once, did they? but yeah, it was, oh, had nothing okay. to do. My, my my daughter hurt her knee, so oh. uh, but she, well, they, she, she may have COVID. been written she down as a as a COVID <laughs> visit. I don't she know. She had COVID eight months earlier. It could be. Could <laughs> well, be you don't know. But yeah, this is like this is you know even I think a lot of the mainstream media. I think even like Lori Lightfoot is currently <laughs> yeah. yelling at the teachers unions to say get the get and the schools open. That's what I'm saying. Like. God, it, it, ha- it has to be the midterm thing. Yeah. Right? No, like, it's like, what, 
who the hell are you to say this? We were begging you guys to do this for a <laughs> year and a half. Now all of a sudden you're acting like you were on board the whole time? Yeah, because it's never been about the science, which is always very funny to me because they always say, trust the science, trust the experts. But of course, expertise and science defined by whatever isn't immediately or whatever is immediately in accordance with the regime narratives, which is why I sold a T-shirt on my merch store recently uh, that simply said, science is gay. And it <laughs> sold so well. And the reason it sold well is because it was effective in critiquing this sort of meta-narrative because you have all of these people who take themselves so seriously and they like to pretend they're these really sophisticated intellectuals who trust the science and know the data. And it's like, you can attack that by saying, well, you don't actually do that, you're a hypocrite. But it's like that even sort of acknowledges that what they're saying is worthy of criticism. But if you attack it like a 12-year-old boy, then it kind of holds that mirror up. Like, actually, we don't even take you seriously. Science is gay. That's not even like a real thing. And they just <laughs> melt down. It's why they didn't like Trump too, because Trump would look in the faces of of these, these, you know, Ivy League credentialed journalists and reporters, and he would just say, no, you're very fake news. He wouldn't even dignify them with an actual argument or anything like that. He would just shut them down, which I think is very effective for kind of, you know, shocking these people out of their little echo chambers that uh, force them to take themselves so seriously. But to your point, they're going to call you all the names anyway. Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter if you try to outmoral them. They're still going to call you yeah. a white supremacist and a homophobe and a transphobe and all of the well, other. One of the things the left does so effectively is they will invent things that are so distanced from reality that when they throw them at you, it's almost like throwing sand in you know, the face of your opponent before hitting them. It's like you don't even know how to respond. Like when they come up with these narratives about how, you know, men can get pregnant, and things like that. It's like, I don't even know how to like address that. And so I've been kind of thinking recently, like, what if the right started doing that with just the way that, you know, like if we had, for example, a congressman in uh, the Republican Party who during a, a, like a, a session of Congress made a comment towards AOC that was something just like, you know, you should really smile more. <laughs> something like that. That would like shatter these people's brains because it's like, wait a minute, they're actually, they are sec like all the things that we said they are and they wouldn't know how to respond. And if we just kept doing that, that could actually shift the paradigm in a way that I think would be more advantageous to us. I, I just like the idea of someone saying that to AOC. No, I've, I've been trying to like rhetorically lockpick my audience over the last few months to like, hey, you should run for Congress. You should sexually harass AOC <laughs> without saying it explicitly. I would never call for that. But that would actually, first of all, it's a good way to make history real quick. Your name's going to be there forever. But then also it's like you could kind of shock these people into wait, like, wait, now how do I respond to this? And then we could kind of start to march down the field a little bit, I think. I, I think you said you'd never call for that. But, but you're on did. the air right now. You do realize. This is a national. It's a deep fake. Okay. This is. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a witch hunt. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, um, let's go ahead and take a break. And uh, after that, I want to get to one more story about uh, New York that I find, New York City specifically, that I find baffling. First, we want to thank our sponsor, ExpressVPN. So uh, using the internet without ExpressVPN is like leaving your keys in your car when you run into the gas station for a snack. So, like most of the time, you're probably fine. No one's going to do anything nefarious. But what if? The one time you do it, you come back to see someone driving off with your car. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, maybe you're in a cafe, a hotel, an airport, wherever you are, any hacker on that same network can gain access to all of your personal data that you have on your computer, your financial details, your passwords. You store a lot of stuff on your computer, right? Uh, and um, look, here's the thing. ExpressVPN is going to help you solve that problem. I use ExpressVPN. Um, a lot of people say... It's okay. I mean, yeah, they might get my passwords, but uh, I'm not doing anything bad on the internet. I'm not looking up porn. I'm not, you know, it doesn't matter because all of these big tech companies are making money off of all of your information. They are not like, 
Have you ever known big tech to use your information for something good? No, you don't want them having your information, even if you're just putzing around on the internet, all right? You've got to use ExpressVPN. They have encrypted tunnels. They're going to create a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet uh, to make sure that hackers cannot steal your sensitive data. Um, it is very, very secure, and it's very, very easy to use. It's not going to make any of your uh, your your um, I can't even talk today. Your phone, your laptop, your tablet, a device. That's the word there that I was go. looking for. Mm -hmm. Your device. It's not going to make your device lag. It's very, very quick. It's very easy. You can sign up with the touch of a button. you got to secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash why. That is expressvpn.com slash why. You can get three extra months for free over at expressvpn.com slash why. I said we would get back to New York City. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things going on in New York City now that Eric Adams is at the helm. Uh, one of which is uh, that now non-citizens uh, can vote in local elections. So, mm. um, yes, which is Great that. Idea. And you may be thinking, like, well, that's just a couple people. That's actually more than 800,000 uh, non-citizens. It's not is, 800 million. Well, you, you don't address that. That is true. <laughs> that is true. It's also not eight. Oh. So, mm -hmm. good point. Yeah, there's that. Um, but uh, he said, I believe that New Yorkers should have a say in their government, which is why I have and will continue to support this important legislation. While I had some concerns about one aspect of the bill, I had a productive dialogue with my colleagues in government that put those concerns at ease. I believe allowing the legislation to be enacted is by far the best choice and look forward to bringing millions more into the democratic process. Don't we know that's what you guys are looking forward to? Because speaking of going back to the last segment, uh, conservatives being conspiracy theorists. Speaking of that, <laughs> I feel like we've said stuff like this before. Speaking of that, mm. you're a conspiracy theorist. If you <laughs> believe that the left loved all of these non-citizens coming over because they wanted to eventually uh, give them the ability to vote in elections. Now, this isn't a presidential election, but local elections, it's happening. It's amazing. Um, he wants New Yorkers to have a voice in the process. They do. They're, if they're New Yorkers, they right. already have that voice. Right. You don't give voting rights to tourists, <laughs> even though they might really care about New York City. It might be great people. You don't give voting rights to tourists because they, they're, not, they're not New Yorkers. They're not citizens. So, you know, why would you become a citizen, right? And one of the big benefits of becoming a citizen is, of course, voting rights. Like, that's why it's one of, the, one of the pitches we make to people so that they care about the country and they get involved in the process. We do want people involved in the process. We don't want people who are not citizens involved in the process. Eric Adams is weird because he's good at, like, three things. He is not, he does, you know, not a big defund the police guy, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, he's really good on crypto for whatever reason. I don't know, probably because he wants a bunch <laughs> of money. Random. I know, but he is. He's like, you know, he's he's in this battle with the mayor of Miami to be the most pro-crypto like city in the country <laughs> and with trying to invite all the business, probably just because he wants more money. Yeah. And the third thing is that he's good at not being Bill de Blasio. So you look <laughs> at him and you're like, he doesn't seem that bad. Why? He, all these policies seem terrible. In reality, it's just because Bill de Blasio was so terrible so often that this guy who occasionally stumbles into a non-insane position seems good in comparison. But that does not mean he's going to be a good mayor of New York. Uh, that's a good point, John. Michael Anson coined a really good term for things like this. He calls it a uh, celebration parallax. And in physics, a parallax refers to your perception of something being distorted based on like where you view it from. So, like, 
like it's the same thing with the conspiracy theory. That's not happening versus, no, this is happening. It's good, actually. So, right. like, conservatives will talk about how the left wants to flood the country with illegal aliens so that they can eventually give them voting rights to, like, literally make the GOP uh, obsolete. And they'll say, that's not happening. That's a conspiracy theory. But then, you know, in the LA Times, they'll write articles. Washington Post, they'll write articles. No, this is happening. It's actually, like, a good thing that it is happening <laughs> because, you know, it just depends on whether it's serving our narrative or serving their narrative. But it's like, that's kind of what happens in, in a democracy or a country that's operating under, like, a, a liberal democratic framework. Like, you can just import the voters that you want to vote for you because voting is what is supposed to nominally make the system justified. And you can't hold anybody accountable because no one actually knows who's in charge. You know, say what you will about Russia or China, but like you know that when Xi Jinping or when Vladimir Putin says this is what's happening, at least we know that that's who's saying it's happening. Whereas in this country, we know Joe Biden's not actually calling the shots. He's just a puppeteer. So it's like, how do we actually hold these people accountable? It's like we can't because no one knows who's in charge. Call it the deep state, call it the bureaucracy. It's like there's, it's this such, um, this sort of like decentralized network of power power that's all being like wielded cumulatively, cumulatively against the population, and we have no real method of resisting it because of that. Mm. Uh, so speaking of uh, voting and election laws, Nancy Pelosi yesterday came out on Face the Nation, and you know, it, it's interesting because, I don't know, I feel like if I am a member of the Democrat Party, I probably am not saying things like this, but then this is Nancy Pelosi. So uh, all bets are off the table when it comes to Nancy and who knows how many uh, glasses of vodka she has had by whatever time Face the Nation is on. I know it's in the AM, but I, that still, what I said still stands. <laughs> uh, Nancy Pelosi still talking about January 6th, but, but saying now Republicans are actually carrying out legislative continuation of January 6th with their awful election laws, watch. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a, a legislative continu continuation of what they did on January 6th, which is to undermine our democracy, to uh, undermine the integrity of our elections, uh, to uh, undermine the, uh, the, the voting power, which is the essence of a democracy. Can, okay, can I just, I want to get your thoughts on this, but I... What, how were her eyebrows 90 degrees? Yeah, it's weird. How, how are they all, the, they're all the way up to her scalp. At what point does your doctor finally say, I'm not doing another facelift because your eyebrows are going to be in your hairline? It's so weird. This is so creepy. She also sort of looks like a 1970s like Batman villain. She the does. she's dressed. <laughs> I, every time I see her, I'm like, wow, yeah. Michael Jackson is still alive. <laughs> there you I go. thought he died this whole time. Oh, she, uh, but yeah, so, so basically, um, this is legislative terrorism. Yeah. Is, is her argument because they say January 6th was, was domestic terrorism. They have so, a bunch of these really bad arguments they're trying so out right bad. now. Like you can't, I can't imagine that independents are like, oh, yeah, oh, uh-huh, yeah, no, that's totally true. They, they have, have to be like, shut up. They have this stat that they've been trotting out. It's like 253 different rules around the country in Republican states have been used to tighten up voting rest you know, restrictions so that people can't vote. And, you know, we know what these things are, right? Like getting rid of drive-through 24-hour <laughs> voting, uh, unaccompanied, like, voting boxes, a lot of these things that we're put in for the pandemic, right, right or wrong, I right. mean, wrong in a lot yeah. of cases, but we're obviously we're never meant to be like, you know, these eternal laws that right. were fundamental human rights. A lot of them massively lo uh, loosened since 2018, um, but, you know, maybe bounced back from that 2020. In the same report that they're quoting from, the same thing, the sentence before says over 700 rules were passed by Republican states to loosen vo voting restrictions. Um, so, 
even the argument they're making is completely false. Mm. It's not even a good argument if it were true, but it's not true. And that's important to point out. Uh, they they do this all the time. They want to push down. They want to keep pushing people into thinking that this, you know, that the system it doesn't work. And, they, you know, it's the same thing they're accusing the Republicans of. They keep saying you know, January 6th, they were trying to lie to people about the elections. Well, what, what's the, what are they telling people here? Mm. They're telling people in all these states that the election count won't be real. It will be false because they've changed all the rules and they're trying to steal elections. I'm pretty sure Stacey Abrams is still the governor of Georgia in their mind. That's where they are. And like, you know, they keep trying this stuff out. I don't think it's working to your point on the American people, though. I don't think they buy this. I don't think that they see January 6th as like 9-11 or December 7th, 1941, as, despite their efforts. People don't see it that way. They saw it as what it was. It was a riot. And like, you know, was it pretty? No. But uh, at the end of the day, it was not this threat to democracy. At no point was the guy with the horns about to take over the country. That actually was not going to happen. They did not come close to overturning uh, our system. We, we saw Jimmy Carter had a column in one of the papers on January 6th. Oh, I don't know if you saw this, where he's like, uh, you know, they tried to take um, uh, the, our democracy and it almost worked. What are you talking about? <laughs> Three hours later, the votes were all counted. We were all moving on with our lives, except for the Democrats who want to use it to win midterm elections. Yeah. John, I also would like to point out, I, I'm just saying, if the, uh, the people who have the guns, like, were planning this big, huge uh, insurrection, they probably would have thought to bring those, mm. those guns if that was the, the entire intent. I, yeah, <laughs> I guess, well, I don't know. I, I kind of have, I guess, uh, a more esoteric opinion on the Second Amendment. I, I think it's kind of like a, a pressure release valve on the population. I think that it's far more likely that this, this system of government would allow for citizens to own guns because it sort of convinces them subconsciously that there is some sort of way out of like this thing. Um, I think that it would be much more obvious if, say, they did go door to door, then people might realize, wait a minute, no, this is actually happening. It's like kind of this explicit display of power versus like this implicit mm. display of power. So like, you know, uh, um, an authoritarian regime of days past might have disarmed its citizens and, you know, we are going to wield power through strength. Ours is much more pernicious because they wield power through the manipulation of narratives, which is why things like, you know, the mass ritual of the vaccine are so important because they can't necessarily be seen displaying power so explicitly because they've convinced us through, you know, propaganda whether that's through media or Hollywood or public education, where it's like a dictatorship is when there's one guy and he's just crazy and he's really angry and he comes and takes all your guns and he's not going to let you buy things where you want. And so we're like, OK, that's what we're looking for. And so then when we see a guy like Joe Biden, he's like, oh, well, you know, I was voted into office. We're like, you know, I don't like that guy, but he's not a dictator because our our conception of like, you know, what authoritarian authoritarianism is, has been so like distorted by that. And so they can get away with wielding that power because it's not as obvious to us because it's through the manipulation of narratives or these displays of like mass compliance to those narratives like you know we're going to have the NFL run ads saying NFL is gay we support black lives matter so no matter where you look this is what we're doing we're all on this page and if you don't like it well there's no escape from it or even the vaccine there's no evidence to suggest that it actually works that it prevents transmission or even like makes symptoms less severe but it's like you're still going to do it because you're going to salute to the same flag of this ideological regime i are we I guess we have to, well, I wanted there to be a, a fight. I wanted there to be fisticuffs, <laughs> but I have to go to break instead. So I guess I'll just do that. We want to thank our sponsor, Grove Collaborative. Uh, a new year means a fresh start and a chance to change uh, the way, not only that you care for the planet, but I want to talk about making sure that all of the household products that you have are safe for your family, for your children, for your pets. You can find everything you need for a sustainable home at Grove Collaborative. Grove carries hundreds of products aimed at replacing single 
single-use plastics across your home and personal care routine. Um, but they have all of these concentrated cleaners and refillable uh, glass bottles. Um, but the products are really, really, they work. I use them. Um, they have Mrs. Myers. They have things that you can find. At, oh, I don't know. You can go to Whole Foods and find it for like triple the cost, or you can go to Grove Collaborative and uh, go get it from there. It's going to save you money, and you're still going to be getting the same awesome household products and cleaners that you rely on. Um, again, I use Mrs. Myers. I use a ton of stuff from there. I find it all at Grove, and I know that when I'm getting it, it's going to not only work, but also be safe for my children, for my pets. And I have a lot of those. I have like two of each. I have two kids, I have two dogs, and I have two cats. I have a lot of beings in my household to make sure to keep safe. I can do that with Grove. You can too. You can go to grove.com slash news today to get a free gift set worth up to $50 with your first order. Shipping is fast and free. You don't need to go to those uh, big stores where you're going to spend way more money than you have to. Get started over at grove.com slash news. That is grove.com slash news. The United States Navy is adding two weeks of training to its boot camp program that focuses on, uh, let's see, uh, suicide, sexual assault prevention, hazing and extremism um, and racism uh, and oh, also the rise of extremism because, you know, they're saying there were several former and active military members who took part in the January 6th. Capitol riot. I like that in this, even in this article that I'm reading, it says after several, it's like, how many are we talking about? And why is this included in uh, a boot camp training program? If you're talking about like a handful of people who like went to a rally of a president that they may have supported personally. Very interesting. But uh, yeah, they are, they are going to um, expand this eight week boot camp. And, um, you know, look, I, I do think that their suicide prevention uh, when it comes to our military uh, members is very important. Um, but the racism and the rise of extremism, uh, I don't really trust the Navy to not just like go full woke on all of these things. Um, one might argue that they're already there. And I, like what I really want them to do is just like be prepared to uh, defend our country. I, I don't, but I, I don't trust that they can do that. That sounds like an extremist view. <laughs> We're going to have to send you to Navy camp as well. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, like this is something they do all the time, I feel like, on the left. They try to, they try to make the military members that come back and serve our country and do all these things that are really important to us having a civilization and make them into the enemies. Mm -hmm. Of course there are military members that believe all sorts of insane things, just like there are baristas that believe. Regular people, oh, yeah. yeah. Like they're just... That's just true. And, and of course, when you train a bunch of people to be good with weapons, occasionally some will, will, will be terrible, right? Like we've seen that in the past. There's been some examples of that. There's no reason to believe this is a, a major problem. Um, and you know, to target these people who do these things that nobody in Congress would do themselves, and if they did do themselves, we'd be even more screwed. Uh, it's just a cynical thing, you know. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I guess they believe that the military is a lost cause voting-wise, so they can say anything they want uh, that's bad about them. But that's uh, that's not an honorable thing to do. Yeah, John. Extremism is such a buzzword, and that, and and maybe that is only second to our democracy in terms of like political <laughs> vocabulary that just is so off-putting to me. But it's like. 
extremism, and it's bad because it connotes this like idea of violence, but like literally speaking, extremism just means that like if there's a bell curve of American politics in terms of people's opinions, you know, the average opinions here, as you get farther away from the average opinion, that's when you'd be like by definition an extremist. But it's like everything has gone so far left so recently in terms of the way that the media is con uh, commanding these narratives. It's like everyone at this table is probably by definition like an extremist, mm -hmm. so to speak, which 100%. is why one of my favorite questions to ask uh, liberal type people is like, okay, well, what would be an acceptable paradigm of like right-wing politics to you? Because they compare everything to the alt-right. You know, Trump is alt-right, George Bush is like proto-alt-right. It's like, okay, well, if there is to be a two-party system, give me, you know, a couple bullet points as to like what you would think an acceptable paradigm of like right-wing discourse would be. And they can't do it because they don't actually want that. They want to consolidate like this sort of one-party uh, system in terms of how the public perceives political opinions to be. And the military, too, is like kind of the last institution that right-wing people thought they could really kind of put faith into. You know, a lot of this sort of George Bush era patriotism revolved around the military and supporting it. But it's like now, it's like, what is there really to kind of have confidence in? Because we had the humiliation ritual that was the Afghanistan with withdrawal. You have now, you know, that commercial that came out where it was the, the two moms and the girl and she grows up to be in the military. And I don't know what the table opinion is on women in the military, but I don't think it's noble for a country to send, you know, its sisters and, and wives I to go die. I think that's just symptomatic of a very weak class of men but it's like every, not every, this happened, I think, particularly successfully uh, in Russia and then also in Spain. Like when a communist regime wants to take power, you purge the military of people who might be inclined to resist that. And you can do that by forcing them to do these things that they don't want to do, whether that's the vaccine or go through all these, you know, diversity and anti-racism and anti-extremism things. And so... Then what you can do, too, is expand the foreign legion to bring in you know, classes of people who aren't American and say, we'll give you citizenship if you want to serve in our military. And that's what's happened in, in Russia, particularly, is they brought a bunch of people in who weren't from Russia ethnically, and they had them you know, occupy the military ranks. And that's how they were able to sort of have this you know, traditionally Christian and Orthodox country be subject to that sort of tyranny. And so um, I don't know if I would go as far as to say that there's no reason to join the military anymore if you're inclined towards patriotism or right-wing thought, but... Um, a lot of what there was to get out of it in terms of the camaraderie and feeling like you're actually serving your country is either gone or dying. Yeah, I feel like every time I see anything uh, regarding the military in the news, it just makes me go like, well... I guess I should just prepare myself for our new Chinese overlords. <laughs> we'll greet this them is, as liberators. Yeah, this is, this is not going to work out No, well for No us. Chinaman ever called me a white supremacist. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> that the truth? Uh, Stu, I'll give you last word on this. Look, I think the, the thing that that angers me, you know, because like institutions are institutions, and like as someone who's skeptical of government generally, I, you know, I, I usually believe that government is going to screw up anything they're involved yeah. in. Uh, what pisses me off in this particular situation are the individuals. You know, we can go. I think the left likes to go to talk about groups all the time. They like to talk about um, you know, the military. You know, but like these are real people. These are people that we've met, and a lot of people that we've met that are military members are skeptical of the way the military is being run. Mm -hmm. None of them like the way the mm -hmm. Afghanistan thing went down. That's for sure. Um, so I, I just, I, I, it's so frustrating because you see these people who, you know, fundamentally, whether you agree with the things that our military has done or not. These are people who have decided they want to sacrifice a good chunk of their life and maybe their entire life in battle for our country and what, the, what it stands for. Uh, they don't always get those, uh, those opportunities because many times we're doing things that we shouldn't be involved in. But that's their mindset going in most of the time. And, you know, I, I, I meet 
you know, we meet a lot of military people being, you know, sort of on the right. A lot of them are more conservative. The same thing with police officers. These people get constantly bashed by society. They constantly vilified, constantly called racist. You know, all of this happens to them all the time. And these are just like the best people in our society, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, they just they're sitting here and they're they're doing things that God, I know I couldn't do or would want to do. Uh, Thankfully, I'm not required to do it because they do it for us and they've protected the country for a long time. You know, that doesn't mean everybody in the military is perfect. And you can certainly find faults uh, with uh, as we get higher and higher up the chain. There's tons of fault in Mm -hmm. the bureaucracy. But, like, we should not be taking these people who are doing these things for us and turning them into villains. It's a really bad idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have more, but uh, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Facebook's parent company, Meta, has uh, become the latest California corporation to semi, at least partially, move to Texas. Uh, They've signed a giant lease. I'm sure you guys, if you were to guess which city in Texas (laughs) a company like Facebook would be moving to, I'm sure you'd be shocked to hear that uh, it is, of course, downtown Austin. So uh, it is apparently, for those of you who are familiar with downtown Austin, this says, uh, the lease is the largest ever in downtown Austin and larger than the entire Frost Bank Tower in terms of square feet. Uh, it is a 66-story tower that is currently under construction, um, but they have leased the entire building and uh, will include all of the office space. This makes me very nervous, you guys. This makes me very nervous. Uh, this including all of the other people who have come over from California, uh, but not all of those people, not all of those transplants translate into the votes that like would be why they decided to move here. I know. That's, this happens all the, all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I looked in a county in um, Pennsylvania, which is a suburban county of Philly, and all the people in Philly would were like, I got to get the hell out of here. This is terrible. And they'd all move to this county, and then it turned, it slowly turned purple, and now it's probably leaning blue. Uh, this does happen. Uh, you know, there also, I think, though, the good thing about Texas is lots and lots of people who were conservative in states like New York and California are moving here, too. So that they really wanted to get out of there. These businesses are moving here, too. Um, and I, you know, that's uh, hopefully this is going to get balanced out. I mean, I, you know, mm. I, I'm not a big believer in like some big, you know, blue wave um, affecting Texas in the near term. I mean, you know. Even as close as Beto, Beto got. yeah. I mean, you feel like Beto and Cruz was basically the best case scenario, right? You were in a in a for the left. Yeah. You're in a wave year with a guy who was never popular with anyone on the left. Obviously, he's not a person who could pull moderate votes. Plus, a lot of people on the right were very tired of Cruz after his yeah. not you know lack of an embrace for Trump early Still on. Are. And you know Beto, who was the most heavily funded Senate candidate of all time at that point, and still they lost yeah so like it's a tough it's a tough uphill battle that's not to say you can get complacent but um that's what i, I worry about yeah that people will be like oh it's texas we're yeah. fine and i you know there I, i'm kind of saying that in some ways yeah. but i think long term there is a, a real reason to worry and we talked a little bit earlier about the uh, the immigration situation and how you know the democrats want to want to bring in uh you know latinx voters uh <laughs> thank, you. To, yeah, thank you gotta make sure i get that right thank you. um uh to uh to come here and that means that long term they're going to you know win these elections and 
the one thing I have th- found a little bit, if we want to have a tad, sh- just a dash of optimism here, okay. is that, you know, like, it seems like we're, like, conservative thought wins over a lot of them. You know what I mean? It might, it might not be instant. I think a lot of times, like, it's presented as, like, oh, well, every uh, Latinx voter is going to vote Democrat for the rest of their lives. But look at the difference with Trump. We saw it as well yeah. in, 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 in 20, uh, 2020, 2018, 2016, a move of Latino voters uh, to the left. I think the COVID situation for all of, the, all of its obvious negatives has had real positive effect to um, people who are maybe moderate and, and, and realizing, wait a minute, this is the direction the Democrats want to go. I don't want to vote for those guys. I think, you know, uh, uh, you know a person who is uh, maybe immigrated here from Mexico and is, is, is a citizen now and has had their family here for a generation or two looks at the situation and says, wait a minute, I'm a hardworking person. I want to be able to control my life and, and be able to go out. I don't even need to be approved by the government to go out and meet my grandmother for Christmas. Like, this is insanity. And I think that has really, um, like, slapped people in the face yeah. uh, that might be gettable. And some of them are, I think, gettable. I, I, don't, think, I don't think as conservatives we should look at, you know, um, all these groups and say, okay, well, we're never going to win them over. We can win them over. Our ideas are better. Well, we're going to have to win them over because they won't stop coming here, John. Yeah, it is kind of a race against the clock. Like, are we going to be able to win them over before we have, like, this sort of How much damage will be done before we get a chance to win them over? It is interesting, too, because Hispanic men are now almost indistinguishable from, like, white working class voters in terms of their sympathy uh, with some of Trump's more... I don't want to say extreme, but like more far right positions, which was very interesting. I saw that recently. Actually, I think they were even in more support of it than uh, even like white working class men. But it is kind of like this this burden of eternal smugness that we on the right participate in so often where we see like liberal people moving from American states that are blue to American states that are red. And we're like, huh. I bet you think that your ideas aren't so hot now, but it's like they're still going to vote for them because they don't have the capacity to understand that, like, you know, it's uh, that old, uh, what was it, Richard Weaver book, Ideas Have Consequences. Mm -hmm. And liberalism is sort of this, like, eternal fixation on this, like, sort of perpetual adolescence where everything, like, what if it could be like this? And what if it could be? And that's why as you get more conservative, you get married, you have children, you become, or I should say, as you get older, you become more conservative because of things like that. So I'm confident that we can probably assimilate a decent uh, proportion of Hispanic voters to our ideas. I'm less confident with immigrants coming from China and immigrants coming from parts of Africa because almost like the way that they assimilate, if they do, you're not seeing white picket fences in American pie. It's like they're assimilating to the predominant American culture that is like this anti-culture. So they'll go to the, the universities and then they'll learn all these things about critical race theory and these like sort of like suicidal ideologies that America's propagating through its institutions. And it's like, then they start to subscribe to that. Like, you know, I grew up 20 minutes north of Detroit and so we have like Hamtramck, there's a lar- uh, large Muslim population. And it's like, I'm seeing these girls in hijabs talking about like, you know, all these talking points that I'm, I'm hearing from like the white girls too. And there's almost this like weird unification between them where they both are mad at me for being conservative (laughs) it's just like all right and being white yeah you should not be white yeah or male or male Mm. yeah i i'm actually very offended by just being at this table with both of you (laughs) right now all right we gotta take a break we'll be back Hey, don't forget, I know most of you out there were like, I have to make my New Year's resolution uh, going over to wherever I get my audio podcast, and I've got to subscribe, rate, and review the news and why it matters, because Sarah keeps asking me to do this, and I am one of the few who have not yet done it. So if that is you, we're just here to help you make your dream happen of uh, fulfilling your New Year's resolution. you got to go and do that. We will also 
if you say something ni nice about us, we want to repeat it, right? So you may see your review read live on air, like the one today from Sweets JME. This is a long one, you guys. Wow, this is very thoughtful. Witty and pointed current events with flair. As a busy homeschooling and work from home mom, I don't have a lot of time to devote to catching up on the news. The news and why it matters is like combining the news of the day with an afternoon talk show and comedy hour. It'll make you, it'll make you laugh so hard you shoot coffee out of your nose. Keep your finger near the back button so you can backtrack to hear the witty comments again since you laughed so loud you missed the rest of the comments. Tune in each day for a variety of guests who add perspectives from all over, making it well-rounded, definitely worth an hour of my time, and leaves me feeling refreshed. We appreciate that so much, Sweets JME. Uh, also, like big shout out to you for being a homeschooling and work from home mom. Uh, that was me all of last year. So I understand that uh, I'm, I'm shocked that you have any time to listen to this show. So we appreciate you choosing us and listening to us. And uh, don't forget, before we go, make sure that you subscribe to Stu Does America if you have not yet done so. You could also do you could do the little thing on the audio podcast for Stu also. I would love that, although you have to write reviews at least that long. I want more <laughs> yeah. words than we'll Sarah. Accept, we will accept no <laughs> no less than 500 words there for Stu's review. <laughs> also, make sure that uh, you check out John Doyle. It is, uh, it's heckoffcommy.com, right? Yeah, I'm relatively low maintenance. I don't need like a review. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.